So we're going to get this show open out of the way much faster and much more succinctly than AEW did with their segment this week to promote the Casino Battle Royal at the pay-per-view. It sucked. Sucked. <laughs> Mike, start the show. Time to play the game. All right, so we got the go home to all out. We had we had AEW and uh, uh, NXT back to back nights of Tuesday and Wednesday this week. I've watched both shows. Wow, I can't say that I've I've done that maybe ever. Um, and rumor no, is no, not since this whole thing started off. Rumor is that uh, USA Network is trying to push WWE into switching NXT to Tuesdays permanently. and That'd be great. Yeah, and apparently WWE is open to the idea. Listen, this whole thing where they started this to uh, conflict or contest AEW's programming was stupid to begin with. It's a different product. I mean, it doesn't always seem that way, but it's <laughs> it, they're in WWE. They're in different dimensions when it comes to professional wrestling, and it just we've seen also WWE. They keep losing. NXT overall has lost the vast majority of the weeks. So we're not going to relive the Monday Night Wars. No one's going to write. We're not going to have a series on the wwe network in 20 years about this <laughs> you, uh, it's wait. a damp squib so you mean to tell me that triple h isn't going to walk out on an episode of dynamite one of these days and he snuck in and purchased aew behind vince mcmahon's back and it's going to cause another alliance uh, to be created, I am not saying that at all. In fact, I think that's probably likely. But I just don't. I don't see the the pomp and circumstance about this war. It would be great for wrestling fans. It would be great for us to be able to watch on Tuesday and Wednesdays instead of uh, having to delay and watch both shows uh, on on different nights. But you know, after they've already happened. So yeah, I, I hope that I hope that actually happens. Yeah, me too. Not that the shows have been great recently. I, I, honestly, I think the quality of both shows has taken a it's been on a steep decline. Yeah. I, I find them to be not as exciting, not as interesting, not as engaging, and um, kind of lifeless over the last couple months. But I think we'll get into that, at least my my thoughts on this week, if you want to start us off. Yeah. Uh, NXT had a huge build to it with the big main event, the 60-minute four-way Iron Man match to crown a new NXT champion, and they fucking bait-and-switched us in order to set up a, another match 
for next week with the real champion being crowned. I, I, you know, that didn't bother me. So, that didn't bother me so much. It did for I, me. I, I when was NXT not bothered by the bait and switch. NXT has always been this like we give you we give you what we we promise, and uh, that rubbed me the wrong way. I can respect that. I'm not saying you're wrong in this. I'm just saying personally, it didn't bother me so much. I think that if you're going to have this kind of chaotic match with way too many bodies and you, you're you going to have a situation where you might have someone tie, this is what would happen. If this was if this was a shoot, you could have the situation. So it doesn't bother you as much. Obviously, <laughs> this is the world of professional wrestling, so you can just not book it that way. Yeah. So I, I see your point when it comes to that. But this was not my biggest problem with the match. I, tons of talent. Uh, I like the finish. I thought the finish was well done. But a fatal four-way. Just don't need it. Yeah. I, when you when you look at the pantheon of great professional wrestling matches, I don't think a triple threat or a fatal four way. I don't think one cracks the top twenty of greatest matches of all time. Uh, when you when you look at you know a, a consistent list across different outlets, they're just not that good. There have been very good ones, no doubt. I always go back to uh, Benoit, Jericho, and Kurt Angle when I can't remember which WrestleMania it was, but they had them fighting for the European and Intercontinental Championship. That was a great match. It told a good story. It was a good stipulation. It was interesting. They have been done well, and they'll be done again well in the future, but they can't, in my opinion, really be great for the most part, because there's just too many moving pieces, too many bodies. This would have been better as a 60-minute Iron Man match between Finn and Adam Cole. If that's what you would have given me, I would have been more invested in it. Yeah, I I, I did not really care for this match in general. I, I found myself zoning out at, at certain points because it just it, it seemed like there was a lot of stalling, then spot stalling spot and that that's the thing with these multi-man matches you very rarely have all four people involved in something at the same time it's usually bursts of everyone getting their shit in followed by a bunch of stalling around by at least a couple people and that was just what was happening and, and those big spots, you, you don't even really pop for them because they're not going to result in a pinfall because you've got someone there to break it up. Yeah. So y- you don't really have to get involved in it. You don't have to get invested in this match. It was an interesting concept. I give them credit for trying something new, but they were they were overthinking this across the board and it could have been better. I'm more looking forward to to the match next week than I was to this. Yeah. And I, I, I felt... I felt about, I, I predicted how I would feel watching this match. And it was a lot of talented people, too many cooks, too many bodies. Not necessary. Yeah. Um, as for the rest of the show, I mean, we had six six-man tag match with no rules. So, of course, that was just pointless. And, I mean... No one saw guys bring in a forklift with a pallet uh, 20 feet in the air. 
And who drove it? Yeah. Uh, this is the stupidest thing in the world. I, I made a joke to you, I think, in our text message chain about AEW with their stipulation matches, doing a Tully Blanchard on a pole match <laughs> uh, as a joke to Judy Bagwell on a pole. And lo and behold, we had someone coming in on a forklift. It's just a dumb spot, guys. It, it's not exciting. I, I, it's one of those things where... It sounds really great, I'm sure, when you're pitching it at a meeting. And then when you see it on TV, you just go, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. That's no good. And and that's what so much of this creative, these creative spots come through, is that they're too contrived. We saw one in the open to AEW this week with, with uh, Chuck Taylor and those stupid chairs and setting up this scaffolding of chairs and this edifice that he would go through. It's unbelievable, it's unrealistic, and it has no place in this situation because it's not even fun. It's just predictable and dumb. Yeah. The only important thing about this match, in this six-person match, was the Isaiah Swerve Scott count, right? (laughs) Correct. So you got to have that. That's the only thing that I cared about. It's the only thing I was focusing on. Now, this was a tough match because there's a lot of participants. There were six people. I was not going to track Every mention of Tyler Breeze and Fandango and everybody. So I said, what am I going to track here? I'm going to track Santos Escobar again and Isaiah Swerve Scott. Because Santos Escobar is the cruiserweight champion and the main the main piece in this on the heel side. So I wanted to track one person on the heel side, one person, obviously the most important person, Isaiah Swerve Scott. And I, I did the numbers. Do you have any leanings? Do you think... That Isaiah Swerve Scott was said more twice as much as Santos Escobar. What what are your De- what are your thoughts? What definitely are your more. I I felt like uh, Vic and and um, Wade were just like on it with saying Isaiah Swerve Scott uh, through this match. Like they they were saying it like it was going out of style. I say at least double. And the, oh oh I mean so what you really want to put side by side is how many times was Santos Escobar said versus Isaiah Swerve Scott because that they're both their full names 17 times we heard Isaiah Swerve Scott five times we heard Santos Escobar <laughs> three times more but altogether Escobar was only said three times eight times they called out Santos Escobar in general. by some part of his name Isaiah Swerve's by some part of his name. Isaiah Swerve Scott, we got 17 Isaiah Swerve Scots, four Swerve Scots, two Scots, and one Swerve. So in a match with six people, obviously there was a lot of different names being thrown around. By my count, that is 24 mentions of Isaiah Swerve Scott and only eight mentions of Santos Escobar, the Cruiserweight Champion. <laughs> Three times the amount. Jesus Christ. It is a, it's a drinking game. It is I I just have fun with this. I have to find more ways to use the Isaiah Swerve Scott factor in uh in reporting of professional wrestling. I I'm really enjoying this. At the at the end of the year, well, let me put Kevin has a uh, a spreadsheet for all of our predictions that he keeps track of all of that. I am looking forward to seeing the uh, spreadsheeting and charting of Isaiah Swerve Scott's name uh, 
by the end of this year because I, I have a feeling he's going to so, have like pie charts and line charts. So, so just so you know, last week it was 54 mentions of Isaiah Swerve's gotten some way and 32 Santos Escobars. So we're just we're skewing strong towards Swerve Scott over here. <laughs> but honestly, other than the, the the Swerve Scott meter, there really wasn't a lot to talk about here. I, I like the fact that we did that we got some distraction in the uh, in the Thatcher uh, match. I thought that was needed because mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to see Bronson Reed beat thatcher i didn't want to see thatcher beat bronson reed clean they both need to look strong going into fuse i thought that was well set up it was mm-hmm. simple it wasn't exciting but it, it 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 moved an angle along i thought that was great uh, yeah the, candace who was LeRae that who uh, interfered has, looked looked like a very generic <laughs> person create a wrestler number 43 and you know i know we don't talk about wwe quote-unquote main roster anymore but you know, for a Monday Night Messiah, he had AOP disappeared. He had Murphy lost a name, and then he brought in Creator Wrestler number forty-three, and he just disappeared. This guy can't. This guy can't keep anyone. He can't even keep people's full names. Uh, but uh, moving on to that, Candice LeRae has zero presence on the microphone. Yeah, I, I, I mean she has no ability to cut a, pro- a promo she couldn't even get the microphone near her face so that we could really hear what she was saying and i'm sure there's some production problems there as well but I-, I just don't care i don't care about candace array i don't care about tegan knox i don't I-, I don't know why i'm supposed to be invested in this are you what's what's interesting here is like they actually gave a video package that showed that these two had a legit friendship. And I, I, I thought that that was like it, very well done and would really help if every other women's feud wasn't pretty much based around former fucking friends. I, I, I feel like 80% maybe even 90% of WWE women's feuds are about how they used to be friends. And it's just overused bullshit. This would be more meaningful to me if everyone else wasn't doing it. Uh, Because there is a legit friendship there that uh, they can play off of where a bunch of the others are just like bullshit that they created on a whim just to say, Oh, and now comes so-and-so's best friend. Like That's how they describe almost every woman who comes out to help another woman. It's gotta be their best friend. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm just having a hard time yeah, buying into I, this. I, I, I know they're trying to put some, some power behind it, but th- these are not compelling characters to me. Uh, I, and I, I wish I wish they were. Unfortunately, that that's the way the women's division feels right now in AEW. And then right afterwards, Rhea Ripley did a backstage quick thirty second promo talking about she wanted the cage match with Mercedes Martinez, and I believe that it was it was thirty seconds. 
and she showed more fire and uh, not everyone needs to be your main event star. Not everyone needs to be Rhea Ripley. She is a star. I get that. But you cut from someone who seems very uncomfortable on the microphone and not very good at this part of the job to someone who's very good at it. Uh, to me, I would I might at least juggle that segment around a little bit. Yeah, that's just 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 my thoughts. But yeah, AEW was just kind of flat. You know, we didn't have. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't feel a lot of excitement in this. Uh, they this was built very much around the main event, which took over an hour of the show, and it was just kind of okay. And that's oh, kind you, of a problem. Are you still talking about NXT? Because you said AEW. Uh-huh. Mm. I mean, I, I, I was I like, oh, he's sw- he's switching but, gears uh, on on uh, a dime there. I mean, if we want, if if we're gonna move to AEW, that wasn't very exciting either. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. both uh, it could be said for both. I I I completely agree. Neither show uh, really grabbed me this week. Both of them. Uh, use majority of their time based around the main event uh, of the evening, e- even like the main event that of what AEW is pushing, nonetheless, too. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember anything else from NXT specifically that uh, I need to mention. So I guess no. we can move on to AEW. Yeah, I I, uh, I really disliked the opening match, and of course I did because it it didn't make any sense. Uh, they start with a brawl on the outside. The heels jump the baby faces. They almost immediately go into a dive off the ramp spot, which we now have seen conservatively eight times. So it's not special because we always see it. So stop doing it. Do it once a year, once a quarter, maybe, but don't do it every fourth episode because no one's going to care. And it always looks stupid when they're sitting there waiting to catch you. But had they done this where Santana and Ortiz jump best friends to get an advantage, beat them up, put Chuck Taylor not through a self-made pyramid of chairs that he meticulously set up like he was on an like cultivating his Etsy store uh, you know <laughs> just <laughs> put him through a table put him through a, a table that's already set up on the side uh, slam him into the the steps then bring him into the ring the match starts and they take him apart and they win the match that's a good story. The heels got a, a, a an advantage. The baby faces did not want to relent, and it makes sense. Scene. It's a it's a it's a five minute brawl to start it that the heels control because they were more vicious and cheat, and then a three minute match on top of it. Perfect segment works from the storyline. Or you could have had them try to get an advantage on the baby faces. The baby faces turn it back around on them and they they have to fight or they, they take a beating and then they have to fight from underneath the entire time and you get a hot tag for Trent and he overcomes all the odds and people get to cheer him on. The way they did this, nothing that happened before the match started mattered. Nothing. Nothing. Chuck Taylor took takes this 
the biggest bump of the show. I guess, maybe, I, I can't even remember. At least the biggest bump of the match, or the pre-match. And within five minutes, he's back up on the apron, and now he's beating up both Santana or NRTs in the ring and taking them out. And then doing his own dives out to the outside. His back's not hurt, his knees aren't hurt, nothing's hurt, everything's fine. So what's my rule? If you can remove an entire segment of a match and it does not affect the continuity or the storytelling of the rest of the match, then pull that shit out because it doesn't matter and give that time to somebody else. Yeah. And that's what bothered me about this match. Nothing that happened before the match mattered in any way, shape, or form. It was just stuff to do. And if you're going to put someone through a, a, a big chair bump like that, you would do better for the roster to not do it because we just get desensitized to it. If you're not going to have that bump lead to Chuck Taylor being pinned in the ring, then stop it and don't do it. Yeah. So I, I hated this. I, I hated everything I about didn't, this. I didn't see the beginning parts of this match. Uh, I had to, I was out with the dog, and then when I came in and turned on the TV, the very first thing I saw was Trent being pinned, or I'm sorry, uh, Trent pinning Ortiz, the ref counting one, two, three. He hits the mat for the third for the third count, and Santana then grabs Ortiz's hand and puts it on the rope. Such a just like what the fuck's going on? Like, oh, this is it, a it wonderful was, start yeah, to the evening sloppy. for me. It was sloppy. I mean, listen, there, there is there are a contingent of people that would say that these are all indie level professional wrestlers doing indie level shit on a national television cable network. And when I saw Chuck Taylor take the the ringside uh, barricade about as slow and unconvincing as I've ever seen a person take a ringside barricade. He slowed down as he approached and basically rubbed his hip up against it. And Tony Schiavone says, man, he took that hard. I mean, this was WWE levels of hyperbole. Uh, if anything, it's almost like Schiavone was going to say, wow, he didn't really take that very hard. Or <laughs> he started calling it out because very often... AEW commenters will call out when things don't look good. Yeah. And they'll try to cover for it, which is good commenting. That's that, that's what they're supposed to be doing. It's almost like he started saying something was like, oh, I can't say that because that was just too <laughs> ugly. And he just he just doubled down on it. And it looked ridiculous. I, I don't. I, I just don't care for this is another one of those matches as the microcosm of why AEW does not resonate to me. It's because they do a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. They do a bunch of stuff that makes everything else they do look less impressive. And then they go, hey, we're really cool, guys, because we did this thing. And you go, well, what would you actually accomplish? And the answer is almost emphatically nothing. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about the the FTR and Omega Hangman stuff. But before that, I need to point out that right before this segment, there was a backstage segment with Tully and FTR. Yeah. They mm -hmm. all had on matching 
coats yeah. with their names embroidered on them really fancily. When yeah. they came out like during... Like members-only uh, jackets, yeah. Yeah. When they came out during uh, Omega's promo, completely different attire. Wardrobe change. Dude... Dude, you're you're with me here. I mean, they they obviously did a pre-tape backstage. Yeah, maybe. And you can say this was from tape. This is taped earlier. But even then, why do that? They all. I'm guessing they own those clothes, right? They're not wardrobe. They didn't get them taken away from them. <laughs> Just wear the same clothes you were wearing. Yeah. Like the continuity director, somebody step in and say, "Hey, this looks stupid." And not only that, but. We got this extended in-ring thing that was just kind of weird. I don't think it was bad. I, I, I don't buy Kenny Omega anytime he talks, uh, but it wasn't terrible. It was just another one of these kind of longer than it need to be segments. And they did that on the back of what was a pretty effective backstage promo. I almost didn't need it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I almost thought they could have done one or the other and it would have been a fine sell for for the thing. and Or, you know, the, the FTR thing should have been the week before. Yeah. The, the pre-tape. And this should have been, the in-ring segment should have been for this week. But it wasn't terrible. It was just kind of weird. I don't know where I am right now with these guys. They're- I mean, I thought... I mean, pay, Omega's been selling, losing his mind and beating up job guys. You know, he's he's healing it up and looking like he's unhinged when he's hanging out with the Bucks. But when he's with Paige, he's the 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 voice of reason and sanity. And he's also pushing this uh, this this narrative that the Bucks are more important than Paige. But when they're together, he it's just, it's it, there's like three different stories here, and none of them make sense together. And it's kind of a shame. I want these guys to tear the house down. I want them to put on a great tag team match. I love FTR. But someone's got to grab the reins of this show overall, but this division, and book it with some kind of consistency because I don't feel like it's happening. And I think the, another thing that, that that kind of wraps in with that was the match before this, another eight-person tag match where... They're all baby faces or, and then later, I mean, it's all heels fight. It's heels fight heels or baby faces fight baby faces 50% of the time on AEW. And I don't understand how that works or why they do it that way. Yeah. NXT is doing it a lot too. It just, it, it seems, it just seems like it's hard. It's hard to tell a story. Uh, the famous JR line, I, I want to know if you're fish or fowl, right? Uh, I, I, I don't, I, I want to know, I want to know the allegiances and the alignments here. In this match, I hate throwing together eight-man tag matches. They're almost always suck. That's just a fact of life. It, it is. Yeah, uh, deal with it. I, I really hate. I really hate the the similar allegiances, face versus face, heel versus heel. And I really hated this stipulation when I first heard it because I was like, oh, they're fighting for a chance to fight each other? <laughs> yeah. What? But I will give some credit where credit is due. JR said they're fighting for a paycheck. 
because they get to be on the pay-per-view and get a paycheck by fighting the other team. And you know what? All things being yeah. equal, I didn't like the match. I don't care for... I, I really like SCU. I like SCU a lot. I think Private Party has a lot of raw talent, but over, just gets way too wrapped up in spots. The Young Bucks could go away tomorrow, and it would not bother me in any way, shape, or form. And I like, I really like Jungle Boy. So I like some people involved in this match. I could not have been invested less in anything that was going on because it's an eight-person tag match where nothing matters. But at least the commentary tried to sell me on why this was important. It's a paycheck. It's a payday and a pay-per-view. It's more exposure. It's this, it's that. So I'll give them a pass on it, even though it wasn't good. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, I want to I wanna go back to the interview really briefly. Or the, 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 yeah, the talking sound. <laughs> okay, sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got off of that. Um, there, there was an awkwardness in that segment when Kenny was like, all right, you're going to beat me up, beat me up. And it felt like it just kept on going, almost as if like Paige missed his spot that he was supposed to come out to it because it seemed like Kenny was stalling. And, uh, maybe it, it maybe always Kenny, seems like Kenny Omega is stalling on the microphone, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he was doing it purposefully uh, to be like, "All right, I got to buy myself some time because my partner is going to come out here to save me," uh, and uh, or it was like, "Okay, Paige is supposed to be out by now. Let me just keep on talking." Um, I I like what happened when Paige came out. Uh, the makeup on his eyes, they didn't need to do that because it, it, <laughs> it, I assume they were trying to make it look like he's been up for days on a bender, but it didn't look good. But I, I like what, what FTR did to him, cutting him down, cutting him to his core. And, and I, as a whole, like, what's going on here because initially when we're like, all right, eventually these two will explode and Hangman's going to be the one who turns on Kenny. But then there was a point where like, you know what? Maybe Kenny will be the one who turns on Hangman. And to me, Hangman is the real deal. I love him. And I yeah, want to see, I want to see Kenny turn heel on him. And I want to see Hangman be the biggest fucking baby face in the company. Yeah, I do too. I just wonder if there's a, there's a missed opportunity here. Because for me, uh, FTR budding up to Paige and being on his side going into this match is more interesting than them cutting him down before the match. Of, of them, if it could turn out that they're playing mind games with him. Right. Yeah. And they become the heels during the match because they just get really vicious on him and they do a an injury angle. You know, they pin his arm between the steps and they try to break it. They do something that is like, no, there's no respect here. We were screwing with you the whole time. And they could sell that during the match. They're good enough to do it. They've got Tully on the outside to help out. They could do that. But to do it in the in the promo leading up to it, it just didn't work for me. It was it was 
this whole thing could have been done, in my opinion, with with 40 words and they used 185. And I just thought it was it was just it was too much. It didn't it didn't really make this much more interesting to me. I was more interested a couple weeks ago when I thought that Kenny had some he or uh, Hangman wants his title, believes in his title, wants to be the champion, doesn't really care for the Bucks. Well, they're out of the picture. Kind of likes these FTR guys, but he still wants to win. Like I think that's a better conflict to go in this match with than what they went with. That's just yeah, I get that's that. Is my opinion. Um, what do you uh, think? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. All right. Uh, what do you think of Thunder Rosa? You know, I really like this match. This was a very good professional wrestling match. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, I liked the transitions. I liked the fact, I mean, they made many, <laughs> the fact that Jim, Jim Ross was losing his mind because he was <laughs> calling a pro wrestling match. Yeah. He hasn't done that in years. He was just, he felt bad he by saying like, this wrestling. is one of the best women's matches he's seen in a while. Well, yeah, and and that was just him being a little bit self aware of what he was trying to say. But before that, he's like, "There, this is a great technical match. We don't see these. Yeah, we very rare unless it's an MJF match. We don't see this. So I thought it was great, and then I got halfway through, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, I've never seen this other person before on AEW. And she was in the WWE, right? Yeah." She was part of like CM Punk's yeah the Straight Edge group society. at one point yeah yeah so but I've never seen her in AEW. Why is the NWA Women's Champion and the person who's challenging the AWA Women's Champion that we've never seen wrestle before wrestling such a competitive match with I'm sorry a nobody. Because this is not someone that's been pushed into AEW television. If she had gone out, and I don't think this would be a good idea, but if she had gone out and beat Nyla Rose, and they fought a competitive match to prove her worth, okay, even Chris Statlander, because Chris Statlander has been pushed on AEW television as something kind of special. But to wrestle, I'm sorry, a nobody in the context of AEW in such a close match... I, I that just seems like a mistake to me. This would have been a good spot to have Thunder Rosa uh, control the match for the most part with some strong hope spots uh, for Deeb and show that she's a competent wrestler that might have a future on AEW, but Rosa has the has the answer for everything. This would have been a good thing to do there and it still would have been a good wrestling match but it would have shown a a a definite hierarchy in the quality of the wrestler when one of them's going to fight the champion two things here one is i i I feel like someone during the course of this match mentioned uh, that deeb is competing for a spot on the roster and uh that Hey, a good showing, especially a win, could mean more regular dates with AEW. So I, I think that that shows the uh, the desire to try to fight for for a win there. But 
at the same time, I think that this falls into a trope that AEW does way too often, and that is assume that all of the people watching their show knows who every wrestler is from the indies. Yes. And that is not Big mistake. good. Like, yes, I know a little bit about Serena Deeb from her time in WWE. I also know that she is well-regarded as a really good worker uh, from the indies and is like a, a person who you can rely on as a very good hand in the ring. And... So it wasn't surprising to me to see her in a competitive match and a very well put together match. But I got to say more than a majority of the people watching are like you and like, I don't know who this is. Why are they standing toe to toe with this NWA champion who is going to be fighting Sheeta? Like there, there needs to be some more background given to this person like and uh, I praise Excalibur all the time but he's the one who I look to to try to do some of that education because he is so well versed in so many of these people's backgrounds like I know he doesn't have a whole lot of time to do it but he he's got to get a little more uh, info in there to educate people while the match is going on if they're not going to do some sort of like video package. And even if they do, it's not enough. You can't. That's one of those things where you can't sell that in the ring. You've got to sell that with video packages. You you've got to do more than that, uh, and you have to be more have more forth foresight. It's the, all that bullshit with Warhorse and all the people that. Uh, Ricky Starks and that Cody fought. It, it just it's just idiotic. It doesn't make any sense. It makes all your stars look like not stars because all these people we've never seen before and and for the most part in a lot of situations we'll never see again are are equal to them. And it is just it's terrible booking. It leads us to look at AEW as a ultra niche product uh, of a of an indie promotion on television, on major TV. That's what this is, because you're assuming that a crowd of people that is infinitesimally small is the only people watching your program. And WWE is the opposite of this. They they over explain every they over explain every single thing that happens. They ask their people to milk everything and every single moment. And AEW does the opposite. They milk nothing. They just they just do stuff after stuff after stuff. Somewhere there's a balance there. And someone with some foresight and a little bit of calmness that can kind of look at things as a whole might be able to help out with that. Yeah. Um, besides the main event, uh, uh, like the we had we had mg let's talk about the the main event stuff kind of i guess as a whole we had an mg mjf no, promo before, before that before that no before that i gotta mention this because th- that we gotta talk about the main event at this point at the very end uh the i have never seen joey janella used more appropriately this is the first time AEW has ever presented Joey Janela in his true form as a jobber <laughs> and a person to take beatings 
from stars. And he got little to no offense against Chris Jericho. And that's where he belongs. He's not very good. He's not very interesting. He's in about as good a shape as I am. And I'm not in very good shape. So kudos to them for finally presenting Joey Janela like he, in his natural environment. It's the most believable thing that AEW has ever done is have Chris Jericho beat the living piss out of Joey Janela. Uh, and then at one point, uh, Jake Roberts made a oh, comment geez. about how you're not going to get a nut or something about in the ring, uh, but you're not going to bust a nut. Jake Roberts, I am a huge fan of Jake Roberts, and I've always believed that it was a crime that he wasn't given the opportunity to participate in this kind of role. Yeah, maybe this is one of the things. AEW is proving WWE right weekly on the people that they've chosen not to resign, on the people they've chosen not to put in positions, because Jake's cut a couple decent promos since he came back, no doubt. But with a live mic, he is lost (laughs) and says some really stupid and crazy things. And that entire segment, and we joked about it in the open, but my God, I don't think I've ever seen a segment that was built to turn people off of my product so much. It wasn't fun. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't, well, there was no good talking points. No one looked good. It wasn't believable. Everyone just meand. It was all the crappy things about a battle royal, but without even being a battle royal. And most of the people, I was like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? I don't care about any of these people. It was, and it went on forever. This was a parody of professional wrestling on AEW TV. Yeah, there was, (laughs) there was so much bad, so much bad. Um, I don't want to say any more about that. Maybe scripting promos isn't so bad. I'm just saying. Yeah. I would rather hear a contrived Seth Rollins promo that in no way sounds like he's saying it than whatever the fuck I watched on AEW. Because that was one of the worst segments of television. Yeah. All right. Now talk about the uh, main event stuff. Now. Yes, please. All right. Go on. Go ahead. All right. So uh, the... the uh, now I'm now I'm all just thinking about that shit. Uh, we had <laughs> flustered. We had a, yeah, we had a, I get it. A little, a couple promos in the backstage. We had a Moxley one. We had a an MJF one. Uh, all built around this uh, part of the stipulation of the title match that uh, Mox has to fight MJF's manager, or not? I'm sorry, lawyer. Uh, in He's a match. lawyer. Yes, um, who who is a professional wrestler and has a a wrestling beer podcast uh, that I've I've actually listened to pretty good off the hop rope. Give it a listen. <laughs> Not that I'm uh, advertising, <laughs> but uh, this was like it, it was well, a it was a schmoz thing. It, it was a very WWE yeah thing uh, to do. And 
the the only good part yeah, about to it me this is two different the, segments right because we have the, the, the psychotic uh, break of John Mox who's going to beat up this annoying show, lawyer really. segment and then we have no, the real we, heat going we had, into the we had color twice in this show the first part of it you know With, uh, this could have worked Jericho busting open Janela and then it was stupid uh, JF busting open but it could have worked if we would have seen this lawyer for the last three months. If this would have been a person that we really wanted to see get his ass kicked, that we never thought we'd see get their ass kicked. And they actually, other than, they had to fight on the outside. They just had to, because John Moxley cannot stay in a ring. They should put up those the, the, the cattle fence where anytime Moxley tries to leave a ring, they shock him or give him a shock collar because he sucks on the outside of the ring. He's a much better wrestler on the inside of the ring. Uh, but they had to leave the ring for this for whatever reason. But this is a lawyer who started training to profession to be a professional wrestler last Friday, and he didn't wrestle. Imagine that. That was smart. It was just this annoying guy that should have gotten his comeuppance, <laughs> Andy Kaufman style, and just gotten his ass kicked. And if we would have seen this person for months and months, or at least weeks and weeks, we just got introduced to this person two weeks ago. I think this could have actually been a cool little payoff because it would have been something fun. They have this, this in, he's an indie wrestler, right? I mean, he's, is a trained professional wrestler. They have this, they could have this guy bump around for Moxley. He did a good job looking like he didn't know what he was doing. Some of the spots were like, close your fist up. Like I actually liked it. I liked the silliness of this. If they would have, if I would have had any investment in seeing this guy getting beat up, but when he came out, I was when I saw him earlier on. Yeah. I, I right now yes. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I don't know what this guy looks like, and I've seen him four times because I haven't seen him enough. But if this would have been something that built, it would have been really fun and really cool. And then leading into the end part of the segment, the go home segment, the heat that they put on was great. I really enjoyed it. I forgot that Wardlow existed. I forgot that he's the guy that watches MJF's back. And when he got in there with those massive traps and looking like he was going to destroy some shit, I went, oh, shit. Shit just got real. So I really enjoyed that part of it. I I always enjoy MJF, and he did yeah. a great job. And smearing blood on his face looks very unsanitary. I do not recommend that. But it, it didn't look real. And... Uh, this was not my least favorite thing about the show, even with the context of the fact that they should have built this for a longer period of time and yada, yada, yada. Uh, much, much more offensive stuff than this. And the and the, and the, the last images and stuff for the pay-per-view actually did sell it a little <laughs> bit. So good for them on that. Yeah. Uh, I want to say that I've, I've realized this before, but... It, during the show, when Wardlow did that move, the F10, I was like, oh, it's double the F5. Uh, <laughs> you just realized this? I, I want to say that I realized it before and just don't remember it. But I was like, oh, I get, I get what they were doing there. Uh, it so doesn't look nearly bit. as impressive. It doesn't no. look nearly as impressive as the F5. Also, it Moxley a, took a back really out of it somehow. 
Like it just it just looks it's a really awkward move that that is not that is not one of the better things about Wardlow. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> that and his top knot. Uh <laughs> I can respect a top knot. <laughs> this I know. Um so this is all leading to all out this weekend on pay-per-view and I had it up and then I uh, closed it. Now I got it back up here. Uh, so we got, got a lot of matches, a lot of stipulation lot, matches, gimmick a matches, lot of, a lot of nonsense stipulation matches that we don't even understand, but yeah, go on. But they're they're traditional. They're traditional silly stipulation matches. <laughs> I mean, broken rules. What's a broken rules match? No holds barred. Oh, <laughs> why don't we just call it that? Yeah. Uh, oh, let me see. Uh, for some reason, so on, on the Wikipedia page, uh, broken rules match is highlighted as if it's a hyperlink. So I'm like, okay, what does this take me to? It takes me to last man standing. I guess it's a last man standing match. That they did will... say, I think last man standing. They did say something about last man standing, no rules, uh, no disqualifications. Like it's just is like, it why on the Hardy compound? Yeah, just why do that? This is not necessary. And I still want to know what a what a tooth and nail match is. They didn't even they didn't even whisper no. about that. <laughs> no. That does not have a hyperlink uh, for the in, uh, the buy-in. And this is WWE stuff, man. I mean, when I first heard about the Boneyard match, and I will fight anyone that tells me that was a good match because it was pure and utter garbage. It was when they first heard that, it's like, we're going to fight in a Boneyard match. And then it was like, are we supposed to know what that is? Are we supposed to know what a tooth and nail match is? Are we supposed to know what a broken rules match is? Mimosa Madness Mayhem or whatever the fuck they're talking about. God, I, Chris Jericho used to be good. <laughs> of the nine matches, five of them have stipulations or gimmicks uh, to them. Uh, so let's let, let's get into doing some predictions here. Let's start let's with do it, man. Let's start with uh, the Isaac Yankum in the nails match. Uh, Britt Baker and Big Swole in this match that we don't even know what it means on the buy-in. This is Britt's first match back. I mean, I'm going to go with Britt Baker because she's the actual star in all of this. I don't know what it means. Also, because it is a stipulation match with no logic or rules, there can be kinds of there are all kinds of interference in this that oh, and yeah. the other. I, I, I big swole redundant is fine, swole. but but Britt Baker's a star. She's one yeah. of the actual stars of the division. She can carry a talking segment. Uh, she's gotten much better in the ring. Uh, having big swole redundant win this match or feud is would be a mistake. So I'll go with Britt. Uh, I'm going with Britt too. First match back, she can absolutely cheat to win here, and oh yeah, Big Swole she'll she'll get her 
she'll get her uh, time. Like she'll get payback probably on a later day. And and Brit should never win clean. I'm totally cool yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh, Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, the broken rules match. If Hardy loses, he has to leave AEW. I I I think that with that in mind, Matt Hardy wins this. It has his name in the stipulation as well. So, well, Undertaker as a star is one of the. Here. Well, Undertaker has never won a buried alive match. To the to the best of my knowledge, and that's one of his stipulation matches. So I guess Matt can lose a broken rules match. Uh, I don't. You realize that Matt Hardy could lose this and just come back as another iteration of his insane nonsense, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, You know, I was going to go with Matt for all the reasons you said. I'm going with Sammy because that's what's going to happen. They were going to try to do some realistic, I'm just Matthew Hardy that lasted for 47 seconds. And then they just went back to all this stupid shit. And he'll teleport. He'll have a drone. Uh, it'll be stupid. And uh, Sammy wins, but Matt will come back as a new entity. And it will all be for naught. Uh, Undertaker is two and three in uh, Buried Alive matches. Thank you for correcting me. You're he still lost more than he's won. That's, that is correct. He won the first one, though. Uh, the, uh, the match to, to give people a paycheck, Jurassic Express taking on the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks are angry and mean and mean and stuff. Young, yeah, Young Bucks win this. Yeah, uh, they're, they're the bigger names. Uh, this is just, I, I I assume it's going to be an athletic match, uh, not saying necessarily that it will be good, but there'll be some uh, probably crazy spots in there. There'll be a lot uh, of cooperation. It'll be real fun. <laughs> yeah. It'll be like uh, my, my two-year-old playing on the playground with his friend. Tons of cooperation. <laughs> uh, Eight-man tag match, The Dark Order. Of Brody Lee, Colt Cabana, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson taking on the natural nightmares, Cutie McWhiskers, as Kevin likes to call him, <laughs> Dustin Rhodes, <laughs> Matt Cardona, and Scorpio Sky? <laughs> Has there ever been a looser premise to put together a match than this? Scorpio Sky has, I mean, I guess. SCU had problems with the Dark Order, but it was really more Christopher yeah. Daniels did. Yeah, uh, this is this is stupid. This is nonsensical. I I wrote you in a, in a text message during this show that when I see Brody Lee with the rest of the Dark Order, I can't help but think that it's like a photo of a father with his teenage sons, because it's a large human being with a bunch of children-sized people. That in no way look intimidating, but want to. Uh, the Dark Order should never win anything, ever, but they will uh, in this situation. 
Dustin is bulletproof. Matt Cardona is Matt Cardona. I, I, I don't think he has big, anyone has big plans for him in the company. QT McWhiskers doesn't ever need to win a match. And Scorpio Sky is very good, but he's just kind of thrown in here. So, yeah. yeah I, Dark Order I, wins this so that eventually Cody can get his revenge when nobody else could step up to the menacing figures that the Dark Order cuts. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree with you on that. Uh, When does Colt Cabana get his gimp mask? I don't know. Maybe maybe after this. Maybe this will be his coronation after they win this match. Colt will pin Cutie McWhiskers and get his mask. But I feel like I actually kind of enjoyed it. The only thing I enjoyed about this faction was the Colt Cabana storyline because this was a guy who has a name. They talked about him. They they did some good setup for this and that he couldn't win and he had to join the Dark Order, but he's not changed his ring gear. They've kind of dropped the storyline over yeah, the last Now month. he's just, and he was, looks he, like a guy who's just hanging out with them. He doesn't dress like them. He's that weird he one guy with the goths who doesn't dress goth. And and they haven't even like mentioned it with him. I mean, there was this whole thing about him, uh, Brody Lee trying to get him wins. I mean, I don't have to explain this. They had a storyline and they basically dropped it before it, it, it came to fruition and went one way or the other. And that's just lazy. Yeah, because he was kind of like... No, I I haven't joined them. I'm just I'm seeing what they have to say about things. Like they're they're truly at least from what I recall hasn't been an actual Colt Cabana saying I am a part of the Dark Order yet. And that and they just had seems to evil, be from them dropping this. I mean, last week they had Evil Uno come out and cut a god awful promo. They could have had Colt Cabana start to cut promos for Brody Lee. Colt Cabana can talk. What better to have this guy be your mouthpiece? You've converted him. There's, a, I get so frustrated, Mike, when I could write this show better. Because I've never written wrestling, and I know that this I, I could write a show better than this with the pieces they already have in place and the storyline they've already started. Go on. Yeah. Um. Who is going to win the Casino Battle Royale? 21 Who the men. Who fuck cares? It's, it's, a, it's a blackjack thing. Um, you got to pick someone. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go oh, with Darby God. Allen. We've already seen Darby. I picked Darby for the last one, and it was Brian Cage, which was TBD, and you picked that. So yeah. you uh There you is a TBD this. on this list. There are. There is one. There is a TBD. Yes. I mean, I should probably just kind of repeat history and go with it. I, I don't even know who's in the match, and I couldn't give a shit less. Uh, uh, right now, the champion is Moxley. I don't think that. I mean, it would be so much better if if freaking uh, MJF won this title. So I guess we have to think who wins the the championship match because we're going to try to set up a babyface heel dynamic with it. Um, 
I think the Darby Allen stuff is really just to keep feuding with Taz. Uh, I'm going to go with Lance Archer. Okay. He's been a big missed opportunity, and maybe he gets a shot at Moxley next. Yeah. And and looking down this list of who's in it, it is majority heels. And... The faces that are in it, most like Darby's the biggest name of them all by a long shot. Like the other baby faces are Chuck and Trent and the guns who aren't really wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Lance Archer has been a big, Lance Archer has been a big missed opportunity for them. And honestly, if he wins this, he's just going to lose the championship opportunity. So maybe that's a terrible choice, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa for the AEW Women's Championship. Uh, I'm going to buy about the easiest thing you can possibly pick. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm going to go with Shida. Are you not going with Shida? I am going with Cheetah. Oh, okay. I was say, I, that's why I said this is the easiest thing you can pick. They're not going to give their title to the NWA Women's Champion. Yeah. No, right? Not at all. I mean, this is not going to happen. I mean, she could be signed with the company for a long, uh, long term uh, anyway. But yeah, as long as she still holds that other title, I don't think that they're going to uh, make her a double champ or anything like that. Nope. Negative. The tag team title match, uh, Omega and Page against FTR. What are you seeing here? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go with FTR. I think that they, I think, man, I, I want to see something creative here. I want to see a double turn a la Brett and Austin. I want to see FTR turn babyface and side somehow with Adam Page out of this, and the Bucks are heels, and Omega's a heel, and we get FTR versus the Bucks afterwards, and the FTR just beats those snot-nosed little punks down to the the bloody pulp. That's what I want to see. It might be wishful thinking, but, uh, I mean, Page and and, uh, Omega have run their course, man. Yeah. Uh, FTR please, I guess. I I agree. The, this this tag team division needs some organization and putting the titles on a team like FTR is a step in the right direction. It's not to take anything away from the performers that are Omega and Page, but there's been too many instances of them doing single stuff of them not like one not being on the show while the other is like you, you can't have ta- your tag team champions barely being a tag team for, uh, for long periods of time. So I, I hope that this can bring some stability back to the tag team division by putting the belts on FTR, take the focus away from bigger name guy, bigger name singles guys like Omega and page so they can go do their own thing and bring the, 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 the division for tag teams back to 
having a focused goal of like, okay, we got to go after FTR at this point. Yep. Um, mimosa mayhem. <laughs> I, I'm reading this. Match can be won by pinfall submission or throwing the opponent into a tank of mimosa. Um, also, by the way, just to show how slow I am on things, it took me seeing the graphic for this match to be like, oh, bubbly orange mimosa. Uh, I was like, what does mimosas have to do with this? Then I saw the graphic. But Oh, you didn't? Because you didn't watch a couple weeks ago I'm, when Chris Jericho yeah. explained the whole thing. Yeah, oh, I didn't so see so bad, that. man. Who, who do you got in this? Orange wins it. That's, that's who I think. You know, Chris Jericho was the standard bearer for this company and had a serious heel group that was believable, that had a a, a solid tag team that was not yet a comedy tag team, uh, a, a smackable heel that can lose constantly and still keep his heat, and a, a WWE reject who you could rehabilitate and maybe make him more than a polo shirt. And they've taken all of that and just deconstructed it down to nonsense. And it's such a fucking shame because they had so much in that team, in that group, and in Chris Jericho. And now he's fighting Orange Cassidy. My logic says that Jericho should go over because Orange Cassidy's Orange Cassidy. He's a tiny person who's a kind of one trick pony and Chris Jericho's a legend. But I think you're right here. I think yeah. Orange Cassidy wins this. I I don't know how much more mileage you can get out of a guy like Orange Cassidy. I know he gets the best ratings, the best quarter hours, and all this kind of stuff. And I like him outside of the ring in his laissez-faire attitude when it's kind of cute and funny. And I guess I liked it to this last episode of AEW when he just jumped in the ring and started trying to beat the shit out of Chris Jericho. I was like, oh, this guy actually wants to fight somebody? That was a step in the right direction. But I'm just I'm not convinced, and I think it's a mistake. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll see on that. And then the, the main event is Moxley and MJF for the world title. Moxley cannot use the paradigm shift during the match. That is that stipulation. Uh, I, I am going to go with, um, with MJF here. I, I, I I think that, yeah. Uh, I, I, I am been swayed into your direction of thinking that the title on Moxley is probably not the best, the best thing. And I think that someone like MJF can really bring, bring something to that title and something that just no one else has. And, uh, yeah, I, I just think that he would be better to be the smarmy heel with the belt, being able to like truly have the credentials 
to back up his smack talk and whoever then knocks him off will be like it'll be a big deal listen i i think that that so i i'm i'm torn here the title's already changed hands too many times for me in less than one year Jericho should have held this title. Just speaking back to the last match, Jericho should have held this title this entire time. There's no reason to change horses. Moxley has not been a great champion. He, he said nothing memorable in his matches that he's had since he's gotten the championship. Jericho was the right person to have it. Moxley having the title for this period of time and then dropping into MJF seems like a mistake. Way too many title changes in a year. In my opinion, three title changes, three champions in less than a year on TV. Total no-go for me. MJF would be a better champion. They can tell some really, really good stories with it. And I notice also you picked Darby Allen as the winner of the of the Casino Battle Royal. That's a perfect person yeah. to challenge MJF for the championship. Smart. Yeah. I picked Lance Archer. I'm going to go with John Moxley. Because I don't think they're going to do... I think they can do the right thing by putting an MJF, but it's too soon. And too many title changes. And they can do the... the it, would, it would be the wrong thing and the right thing at the same time. I think that they are really convinced that Moxley is the right guy. He's stone-cold cosplay, as MJF said. And he's not very convincing at it. But he's an ex-WWF guy. And every company that's not WWF just apes the WWF. And I uh, I think they're going to keep the title on him. Okay. All right. I would be thrilled so, to see MJF hold that title for the next two years. <laughs> As a chicken shit heel that runs would. from everything and has Wardlow back him up. It would be wonderful. I will I will sign up to watch that. So prove me wrong. <laughs> All right, so those are our predictions for uh, All Out. And uh, anything else you want to mention before we sign off here, Kevin? You know, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, Roman Reigns turned heel. Yeah. You're going to watch. Uh, yeah, that is true. You, you're going to watch. You're going you're gonna to watch SmackDown now? No. No, me neither. No, 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 no. Just just want to put it out there. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Uh, one of the guys that has... One of the things that people have been clamoring for for a long time has happened. And no, I'm not watching either. Uh, I'll tell you he, this. If I, if I continue to read, you know, breakdowns and things start to sound decent, I'll give it a shot again. But not now. But the fact that they brought him back... He injected himself into a title match while it was happening and won it. Even more so is just like this this is just regular Roman. Yeah, maybe he's acting a bad guy, but they just were like Roman's champ now. Lol. Like eh. Yeah, I don't know enough about it. I, I don't I didn't know if it was set up the week before, but Oh yeah, it, it sounds ridiculous, and they're still doing Fight Club on on Raw, and it's still really stupid for the most part. But yeah, I just think it's so funny that we've been talking about this Roman Reigns thing for years, and him not wearing the the chest protector, the flak jacket, whatever it is, and I don't think he's wearing that anymore, which is the right move. 
if they change his music, even better move. (laughs) He has a shirt that says like, show up, wreck everything, leave or whatever is now his, his, his deal. But he's with Paul Heyman. So, yeah. I mean, Paul Heyman. He's a great talker. That is something. And apparently Brock is a free agent. Brock's contract has, has lapsed. Have you heard this? I have, yes. Uh, I I don't see him working for anyone but WWE. Because I think they're the only that ones dude who likes him. him. Uh, I mean, have you heard that Tony Khan's parents are billionaires? <laughs> because I think they'd be willing to, to pay him to pop a rating. Maybe Moxley will finally get that like actual wrestling match with Brock Lesnar on AEW TV that we didn't get at WrestleMania a couple years ago. Maybe, maybe. Anyway, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, are you gonna? So, yeah, are you gonna watch the AEW pay per view this Saturday? Uh I, 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 I feel like I'm going to have to at some point. Uh, whether or not it's it's live. <laughs> Uh, is still uh, a little up in the air. Uh, very all over the place with plans for this weekend, so I'll figure it out at some point. All right. Well, other than that, I think we should probably wrap up. Now we're just rambling. All right. Yes. We are not the <laughs> rambling podcast. That's that's another one. Uh, thanks, everyone, once again for joining us. Make sure that you... Uh, Subscribe to the show so you can get brand new episodes every week on Fridays. For Kevin, my name's Mike. We'll see you next week. Good night. Good wrestling.